It was just outside Boston on one of my few business trips out of town when a woman approached me at a gas station. She told me about how she urgently needed a ride to her sister's house and that she'd give me some money once we got there. I asked her where her sister lived and when she said Brattleboro, 15 minutes away from my cabin in Vermont, I took it as a sign. I then looked at her short amber hair and her fair skin before telling her to get in the car. On the way up to the cabin, she told me everything about her life, her experiences, her hopes, her dreams. I was the only one who knew it would all be coming to an end before daybreak. And when she fell asleep about 10 minutes away from our destination, it all seemed too easy. I kept her there overnight, played with her, and had my fun, before taking her out back and shooting her in the woods. I drove home the next day feeling unfulfilled. I couldn't understand why this last one didn't bring me joy like the others had. It had been so long since I'd found a victim. I thought this one would be a thrill. Instead, it all felt quite routine. Boring even. Driving back, I pondered extensively about why this experience was so dull. Why the one thing in life which brought me spiritual significance didn't seem to do so anymore. Suddenly, it hit me, like a ray of sunlight bursting through the clouds. I always thought the motivation for my actions had to do with control, sexual desires, and primitive wants like that of a Neanderthal, when in fact, the thing I truly lusted for was power. I realized in that instant what I really wanted to kill was a man. I wanted to challenge myself and experience holding power over someone in a way that I never had before. I mulled over this striking realization in silence for a very long time and waited for the right moment to fulfill my otherworldly desires. That moment came at the 1974 National Auto Convention in Chicago, Illinois. There I met a man named Sam Whitaker. A nice guy. He was also a salesman, hailing all the way from Sacramento. I knew once we made friends that he was the man I wanted to kill. We spent most of the day together and went out drinking after the convention. At the bar, we had more than a few, and Sam expressed his interest in doing some cocaine. He suggested we drive around and find some on the street, which shouldn't be too difficult in a city like Chicago. 
I myself had no interest in trying cocaine, but went along with his plan and saw this as a perfect opportunity to get him alone. We took my car and drove through Uptown, looking for someone who might be able to help us out. It was a daunting area at night. Pimps, hookers, and all kinds of shady characters walking the streets, doing God knows what. Sam was quite eager to talk to someone about getting his drugs, so before he could draw too much attention, I pulled the car toward an overpass and into the darkness. Before Sam could question where we were going, I pulled my 38 snub nose out from under the seat and told him to get out. Sam was in shock about what I asked him and slowly got out of the car. He asked me what I wanted and pleaded with me not to hurt him. But unfortunately, hurting him was my only desire. I told him this and he broke down like a little child, begging me to take whatever I wanted and to let him go. All I wanted to take was his life. But first, I wanted to watch him suffer. So I shot him once in the stomach. He hunched over and fell backward onto the ground. I walked up and looked down at him as he confronted death. Once again, the power I so yearned for entered my soul. As my spirit yielded to the higher calling it was always meant to. I watched Sam wiggle and squirm on the ground, bargaining for his life with nothing to offer. I shot him again in the chest, and once more in the head. He laid there cold and empty, while I stood taller and stronger than I had ever been. I returned home to Ann Arbor the next day and watched Raymond's Little League Championship game with your grandmother and mother, who was just a small toddler at the time. Your Uncle Raymond played so well. He had two doubles, a single, and even batted in the winning run to get his team the trophy. I was so proud of him. Time went on and the kids got bigger. I spent less and less time away on business. But when I did, found my thrills when I could. I killed five more men over the next ten years. Another salesman at an auto convention. A few drifters heading out west. And a mechanic in Virginia. When the mechanic's death made its way to the Michigan Daily... I knew it was time to stop. I had gotten away with too much for too long. No one had suspected anything of me. No one came knocking to ask questions. And I intended on keeping it that way. I watched your mother and Raymond grow up. Go to school. Achieve great things. And have families of their own. I got to meet my three amazing grandchildren, 
and knowing you as a little boy reminded me of my past life. You see, Jeffrey, you and I are quite similar. I know you are a special boy, and although I don't expect you to do the things I did, I do believe you need to know there are others like you out there. I realized this first when you were very young, and everyone at the family picnic panicked to see what you had put in your mouth, only to reveal a squirming frog torso with three of its limbs bitten off. Then years later, when I secretly witnessed you smash a rat caught in the gutter pipe with your father's ball pin hammer before washing it clean and hiding the evidence for no one to see, or that time you put a gardener snake into a mason jar with firecrackers to see how many it would take to kill it. You were never an obnoxious boy. You were very timid and inquisitive, and you did your dealings in secret for no one else to know. I'm not sure if you have acted on these instincts since you were a child, but I write all of this to let you know that it's okay and that it's okay to act on them if you so please. I struggled for many years with the morality of my urges, and although I do feel some remorse about the pain I have caused and the lives I've affected, ultimately I believe not acting on them would have rendered my life unfulfilled, for which I do not regret my actions. No matter how you choose to live your life, just know that you are not the only one who has endured these personal struggles, and I hope you take my life experience into consideration moving forward. I love you very much, Jeffrey. Yours truly, Grampy Bob. P.S. The cabin is still in Vermont, in case you ever want to take a visit. Jeffrey closed the book and sat completely still in his chair frozen from shock by the overwhelming information he just received. He was also reminded of the horrible things he had secretly done to small animals in his childhood, and the oddly religious sensation that came from them. He wrestled with his thoughts, along with the message left for him by his grandfather. These memories from Jeffrey's childhood had been successfully repressed, but could no longer be ignored. I'm not an evil person, he thought to himself. I'm not like him. I don't do what he did. Jeffrey was then forced to ask himself, then why do I feel the things he felt? Am I destined to hurt others or suffer myself if I don't? He felt at odds with this conundrum and truly feared what the future had in store for him. Nonsense, Jeffrey stated. This information must not be discovered by anyone. It will live and die with me, just as it did with him. My life will not succumb to darkness, and my actions will bear no resemblance to his. Jeffrey decided at that moment to destroy the notebook and leave no trace about these terrible events from the past. He got in the car and drove out of town toward the mountains away from people and in secret. 
he wanted to burn the book in the woods and purge these unwanted memories. As Jeffrey drove further and further into the wilderness, he began to feel more calm, and relief set into his body. He could breathe again, and the air settled around him, sending the paranoia far off and away. Just then, something stepped out into the road. Jeffrey felt the car hit it, and he slammed violently on the brakes. But the car sat in the middle of the road, and Jeffrey gripping the steering wheel tight. He closed his eyes and hoped to God that it wasn't anything serious. He got out of the car and looked back at what he just hit, before feeling his heart drop into the pit of his stomach. There, lying on the side of the road, was a man groaning in agony. A hiker, judging by his oversized backpack, but a person nonetheless, in a tremendous amount of pain. Jeffrey rushed over to the young man and found him gripping tightly to his leg as his shin bone poked through his pant leg and blood poured out of the gash. Jeffrey entered a state of shock but acted quickly to help the poor fellow. He rushed back to the car to phone for help, but just as he did, froze in place at the shocking realization of what was to come next. An ambulance would come, but so would the police. They would ask Jeffrey what he was doing all the way out here. They may even search the car. What would happen if they found his grandfather's notebook? Would they read it? Would they open an investigation? Would the information go public? The whole family would find out. There was only one way to ensure none of that would happen. Jeffrey walked over to the trunk of his car and returned to the screaming wounded man. But this time, with a tire iron in his hand, the man's eyes fixated on the heavy metal object and pleaded with Jeffrey not to come closer. Jeffrey raised the tire iron high above his head and struck down on the man's face with full force. He did this over and over again until he was absolutely sure that the man was dead. He then dragged the body into the woods to conceal it along with the weapon, under some leaves and branches, away from sight. Jeffrey continued his drive up into the mountains, where he burned the book and also his bloody clothes. He washed his hands and body off in the stream beside his fire, and changed into some dirty gym clothes which had luckily been in the car. When Jeffrey returned home, his mother kindly asked him where he'd been. Jeffrey replied that he'd been out for a run in the woods. She smiled at him, and he smiled back. Jeffrey then went upstairs and never spoke of this incident, or the notebook, to anyone for the rest of his life.